Turn your Bibles real quick as uh, you prepare the offering. Just want to read a quick section of Scripture, comment on it, and then we'll pray. Genesis chapter 14, it's the story about Abram uh, and how he uh, had victory over the, the five kings. Sounds like a Hobbit movie. But he uh, had victory over the five kings. Uh, with uh, it was, So there were five armies, and he had uh, a little over 300 men. It was amazing what God can do with a few. Amen? We were reminded that over and over and over in Scriptures. It's not about how many you have. It's about how many show up and how many work and how many put their hands to the, in this case, the sword. But they uh, defeated the five, en- five kings, and this is what happens afterwards. Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 14 says, After his return from the defeat of Ketalomar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom came out. Because remember, the five kings had raided Sodom and Gomorrah, had taken all the people away, all the riches of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so uh, the king of Sodom's coming out to check out uh, how it went. Um, so the defeat of Ketalomar and the kings are with him. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and be blessed, or blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. There are so many verses throughout the word that says that the uh, that is God who gives us increase. It's God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. It's not ourselves. I mean, I know we work hard. We put our hand to whatever He uh, leads us to do. But it's not our success. It's God's success. Now, that's one of the things you might think, oh, wait a second, I worked really hard. I went through many years of school, training, whatever it was that you did. You've, you've practiced hard. Of course we do those things. But if it wasn't for God, we still would not have total success. And when you have success, but also the joy of the success, then there's this is what Abraham did in his success. And Abraham, or Abram, gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourselves. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anar, Ashkol, and Mamre take their share. And so Abram gave glory to God. That's the first part is giving glory to God. But also he gave a tenth. Now you can say, well, the tithe is on the law. The tithe is because of the, the Old Testament and the, and the, uh, the, the Abra or the, uh, Mosaic law. Well, here is the, here's a tenth, which is the, the, uh, the uh, uh, Hebrew word is tithe, tenth, tithe. He gave a tenth well before the law. We didn't have to. Everybody wanted him to keep it all. Even the king said, hey, you can keep everything. You, you want it. It's your deal. And Abram goes, no, I'm going to give it to God. Now he gave it to Melchizedek, who is a type and shadow of Jesus. He's, remember when we talked about uh, in uh, the old te- or in the, the theology last year, he is a representation of Jesus. It's probably very possibly one of the times Jesus actually shows up 
on the earth. In Hebrews, it talks about who Melchizedek was. He had no father or mother. Hmm. And he's a priest. Hmm. You see all these parts fitting together. Abram tithe. And then when you, when you get over into the law, the Levites didn't have to tithe. The Levites didn't have to tithe because why? It said that the tithe came through that, this act right here, the act of Abram giving it to Melchizedek. So we see types and shadows of the, the blessings of God through uh, giving all the way back, all the way from the very beginning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Your word brings us light and life, brings us truth, shows us what is, what truly is, even the things we don't see. It shows us what truly is. Father, we praise you. We give you glory. Thank you for this opportunity to give today. In Jesus' name, amen. Dinner's done. Okay, that's enough. And the house is a wreck. Yeah. Kids are dismissed. Give your mom a big hug and kiss before you leave. We'll have a meeting letter, John. <laughs> Father's here will just be, I'm a bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can get as spiritual as you want, but there are some things that are just real, you know? There are just some things that are real and you can, you know, I mean, it's, I got a whole sermon here ready to talk about how spiritual parenthood is and being mothers and how important that is, but there's just something about changing a diaper and having one of those moments. I, I, as I was listening that, I had a, had the flashback to, uh, one of those days when you're, you know, I, it was actually, you know, being Mother's Day. Deb had decided, had said, "Oh, I'll change the diaper. I won't tell you which one it was, but I'll change the diaper." And so I'm sitting in the living room, safe and sound, and and uh, we're in there, and she's in there, and I hear her getting all the stuff out, and everything's working. I'm sure she had taken the diaper off because the next thing I heard was a completely unmuffled. <laughs> And immediately she yells, it's okay, I caught it. <laughs> but you'd never thought you'd hear that story in uh, church, but it's okay, I caught it. It's all right. Where do you go? How do you go from here? How do you, how do you dive into happy Mother's Day? Amen? Happy Mother's Day. I would actually have the mothers all stand now, but they don't have to do anything they don't want to today, so. We'll let you stand or sit however you would like, but thank you. It's just awesome, amen? I want to congratulate all the mothers. Who, okay, well, I shouldn't see it. got to be careful how you say these things. Who's the youngest? Who's, who's the, the most recent mother here? Oh, there's a race. There's a race. 
it's just Wednesday. We got our, our most recent mother. That's awesome. Congratulations to all. You know, they, yeah, so we get another big round of applause. Not just in this church. I've been talking to a bunch of other pastors, and there's a rash of babies been born in the last month. What happened nine months ago? That Was there a snowstorm, or what was it that... What? Was it really... It was summer. Oh, it was... You know what? I'm going to stop right... Moving right along. I'll bet it was hot. Yeah. All right. About three quarters of the way through that last statement, I just, my mind caught up with my mouth. Yeah. No, you don't need to know what really goes on inside my head. No, it's a scary place. Well, let's move into something more safe. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We've been here for five months. We'll probably be here for another seven talking about being the children of God. Being the children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, beginning with verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and may and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That it will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is supposed to be a level of freedom and glory associated with being a child of God. And I believe it is supposed to be the ultimate expression of freedom and glory. We're not seeing that yet. We don't see it, and I believe the fullness that God wants us to see it, but we're getting closer. Every day we keep getting closer. Every day, the more we understand about who Jesus is and who we are in Him, it becomes clearer and clearer to us. I, I mean, I know it's, it's becoming more and more clear to me of who we're really supposed to be. We, the world, the time, our, our, our ancestors, our heritage, just everything, our, our society has put a restriction on who people are really supposed to be. And the authority and the power and the joy and the life that we're supposed to be able to walk in and have. Too many people are suffering every single day from all kinds of bondage. Some bondage they didn't put on themselves. Some, some people's bondage is stuff that came from someone else. But too many times the bondage that we're experiencing is bondage we've allowed to have put on, put on us mindsets and and ideas and 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 uh history things that that uh have been forced on us throughout our early lives and the worst part is we believe it we believe it we believe the lies we believe the the oppression 
And then the longer we, we believe it, the stronger it gets. Because then it starts getting reinforced. You're a loser. You're weak. You're not going to be successful. You can't do that. You have no right believing that. Those things just keep adding up. And they keep getting reinforced because then somebody else says it. Well, there's two people who have the same opinion. And then three. And then more. You have this this world that's trying to destroy you every day. And the only light that's being shed is the Word of God. But that's, you know, that's thousands of years old. How could that possibly have anything to say about truly being free? But the truth is, that's the only place where real freedom comes. It's the only place that real truth lies. We can fool ourselves. We can think, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to buy into that because, because that's trying to restrict me. Well, yeah, there are some fences in the Word of God. There's some things in the Word of God that, that say don't go there. Don't stick your hand in that hole. Don't, don't put your finger in that vice. Don't stick the paper clip in the light socket. Well, but it's fun. I mean, that looks exciting. Well, it'll also kill you. And then we do it, and then it reinforces how dumb we are. I, I, years ago, I was uh, training, and my instructor, he was a Jewish man from, from Israel, and he was, we were, he was showing a, a, a technique, and he was doing this technique, and he, he did it wrong. And all, and his reaction was, stupid, 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 stupid. When will you ever learn? When will you ever learn? And I just, my heart broke in the middle of that training session. My heart, because I was like, my goodness, this guy has been told his whole life that he's not perfect. He's one of the, he's one of the best in his field, in the whole entire world. I mean, this guy is, is, is smooth. I mean, he's, he's, he's tough. He's strong. He's physically active. There's a video of him on YouTube running, diving over the top of a five foot six person and landing on the ground. There's no sound. I mean, it's absolutely flawless. I mean, his, his technique is amazing, but his reaction to himself is stupid, stupid, stupid. Where did that come from? Who put it there? Well, there's no shortage of who puts it there. There's no shortage of who reinforces it on a daily basis. And that's why, that's why, we must be in the Word of God. That's why we must be reading His Word daily because His Word doesn't say that about you. His Word does not say that. That your existence is foolish or that you're a waste or that you're taking up too much space. His Word says that you are valuable. That you are vital. That there's a purpose for your life. And that purpose is good and meaningful. There's a reason you're here. God created you for a reason. His Word says He knew you from the womb. You're not an accident. 
Don't raise your hand, but somebody at some point in time in this room has thought, I'm an accident. I know I'm guilty of telling my little brother he was an accident. (laughs) I've repented of that since then. But you know, that's what older brothers do. Oh, sorry, man. That's why mom loves me more. I was on purpose. You were an oops. Nothing just irks a a baby brother or sister more when you go, oops. They know exactly what you mean. (laughs) You're not an oops. You're on purpose. And we need people in our lives who remind us of that on a regular basis. Enter mothers. Enter Enter mothers and fathers, families. And I'm not talking about little, you know, big brothers and sisters. We'll, we'll work on that some other day. But moms and dads, they need to be echoing the Word of God on a regular basis. This is who you are. This is who you are. There was a man, I heard his testimony a number of years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is Miles Monroe. Miles Monroe was was born in uh, the Bahamas at a time when the English government ruled the Bahamas. And one of the things that they were doing was they were trying to systematically educate their territory, their region, their area, how to be English, how to, you know, and that's, that's what they were doing is that, you know, you, we're, we, you're now our territory, so you need to become English. So they sent, uh, teachers from England to the Bahamas. What a great job. To teach the young, to teach the young people how to be English. They taught them English. They taught them English history. They taught them English customs. They taught them English. Well, if you know anything about the Bahamas, The people there are native black. One of the teachers hated black people. Hated them. He didn't want to be there. He had other aspirations. He had other desires. He hated working with black children. With Bahamian children. And he used to take it out on him. Miles Monroe, if you know who Miles Monroe is, Miles Monroe is, is a, a, uh, uh, New York bestseller author wrote over, I think he wrote over 30 books, traveled the world. He used to speak to Fortune 500 companies on a regular basis about leadership. He was in the White House numerous of times. He was in, in many heads of states' offices numerous times speaking to them on leadership from a godly perspective. Powerful man of God. Walked in the authority. He was, he was one of the, the board of regents of Oral Roberts University. Extremely intelligent man. Dr. Miles Monroe. But that's not how he started. He was a young boy and he was failing school. And his teacher was that teacher who hated young black kids. And he used to ridicule him. 
He used to yell at him. He used to stand in front of his desk and scream at him, you're going to be nothing. You're a waste of space. You don't even deserve to live. Why do you even waste my time? Why do you come here? Screamed and yelled at him. One day in the middle of class, Miles jumped up, ran out of the room, swore he'd never go back to school. He ran home, ran in the house, went, jumped in his bed, covered himself with covers, and began to sob. His mother runs into the room and says, What are you doing? Why are you home from school? He told her the story, and she just, and I love moms, because I had one of those moms. It was one of those times when she didn't go, Oh, sweetheart, come here. You're okay. No, she grabbed him by the shirt collar, dragged him out of bed, sat him at a table, and said, here, I want you to look at something. Put a Bible in front of him, and I don't know the verse, but it was a verse something like, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Showed him another verse. I am the head and not the tail. Showed him other verses, just verse after verse, and she goes, I want you, and she wrote them all down for him, had him write them down, and said, now I want you to recite themselves, recite those to me. So he said them to her. She said, again. And he recited them again. She said, again. He recited it again. She said, again. She goes, and she goes, now I'm going to leave the room. I want you to memorize those verses. I mean, now isn't a mom supposed to go, come here, sweetheart. It's okay. You'll be a good ditch digger. No, she said, sit down. Read this word. Now that just sounds like cruel and inhuman punishment right there. All day long, the rest of the day, he kept reading those verses over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, she said, now come over here. Tell me what those verses say. And he recited them from memory. Perfectly. And then the most powerful words came out of her mouth. She said, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's not, you're not what he said. You're not what they say. You're not what even you say. That's who you are. Many years later, Miles says that he was on a book signing tour and he was in Great Britain. And he was signing books. It was his third or fourth book, fifth book, whatever it was. And he was signing books at a conference. And people were, he was sitting at a table and people were coming through, hand the book. He'd ask their name. He'd write it in, give it back to them. They kept going through, kept going through. And all of a sudden, a person walked up. He never even looked up to see who it was because there were so many people going through. And, it, and the person handed him an old version, an old multiple red version of his first book. And said, will you sign this? He goes, oh, well, sure. He says, you know, there are new books you could buy. But he signs his name and he hands it back to the man and the man doesn't move on like everybody else does. He's an older man, gray hair, standing there. And he said, he just stood there, didn't move. 
Miles goes, well, there you go, sir. Thank you for, for uh, being interested. And the man didn't move. And he said, sir, he says, there's a lot of people behind you. I really need to keep signing these books. And the, and the man looked at him and says, Miles, you don't remember me, do you? Miles looked at him and says, no, sir, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And he says, I taught you in Bahamas. I was the teacher who told you that you were worthless. I was the teacher who said you weren't going to ever make it. When I saw that you wrote this book, I bought it. And through it, I got saved. Don't listen to what the world says. You're a son and a daughter of God. You're a child of God. But what would have happened to Miles Monroe had his mother not been a mother, grabbed him, wouldn't let him sit in his self-pity? Praise God for moms. I didn't like it either when my mom says, oh, knock it off. Sit up straight. Let's go here. In a most loving, caring, you know, motherly way. But praise God. Praise God for moms who understand who we really are. We look, or ch we, they look at their children and, and call them what they truly are. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. We just got done going through 1st and 2nd Timothy on Wednesday nights. And if you have a chance, I was just reminded this morning, we, you know, we have all of those teachings online and they're amazing. They're wonderful. One of the things we learned about Timothy is he didn't want to be there. The whole book of 1st Timothy and 2nd Timothy is about Paul telling Timothy, you gotta stay there. You need to stay. There's people there who need to hear the truth. And he gave all the reasons why Timothy had to stay there. And Timothy was giving him all kinds of reasons why he didn't want to be there. But Paul prevailed. And this is one of the arguments that he used. 2 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 3, says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now remember, Paul didn't grow up a Christian. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. But in the understanding that he had at the time, the understanding that his parents had at the time, he can, he can say uh, confidently, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. In the understanding that they had at the time, they were, they were believers in God. They served God. So you can look back and say, well, my parents weren't believers. I have a reason for being less than or whatever. No. On the understanding that they had, they raised you. Now you could, you know, you could maybe make the argument and try to make the argument that somehow God puts you with the wrong family. <laughs> I know people have thought that. I've heard it from people. Oh, if I would have only had so-and-so as parents, oh, my life would have been so wonderful. Oh, if, if I could have only been 
Warren and Beth's son. Oh, man, my life would have been so much better. It is. I know it. It's truth. But God put you with who He put you with. And it caused you to be who you are today. Every part of it. Now, there may have been some things that were not the best. There, were, there may have been some parenting techniques that would not make it on a, you know, a self-help book on being a parent. My parents weren't perfect. I know. It's hard to believe with the outcome that you see before you. But my parents were far from perfect. Now, as opposed to my kids having the best parents that anyone has ever had, ever. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Ethan's laughing. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because he knows. He lives in our house. He knows what kind of amazing parenting techniques we have. I thank God whom I serve as, my, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your mother, grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Okay, maybe your parents weren't perfect, or I should say it this way: since your parents weren't perfect, maybe you weren't a perfect parent. In every way, every time, every step of the way. The best thing about the kingdom of God is you're not dead yet. You still have time. Even as a grandparent or as a parent of adult children, you still have time. You can model. You can model being a son and daughter of God and it will inspire the people around you, including your children. Continue to be that light. Continue to, to model that belief. Now, how do you model that belief? Well, the first thing you do is, all the way back to the beginning, get in the Word of God. Find out what that pattern is. I don't have time to, to go into the full teaching of it, but God is a God of restoration. God can restore in a very short time what you've messed up, what I've messed up. You can, God can restore what's been stolen from you. He is a God who restores. And restores doesn't mean just, well, you know, puts a bandage on it and fixes it to an acceptable level today. You know, that's all the farther we're going to get. No, it, it means he can bring it back all the way from the beginning to where it should have been right now. I'm convinced of it. I've seen it in my own life. We don't have to look at this and go, you know what? 
I guess that's just uh, chalk that one up for me being a me being stupid again. No. God can restore relationships. I believe He can restore the worst relationships. I believe that God can restore quickly belief systems. God can restore. We don't have to keep walking in foolishness. If we've made mistakes in the past, we ask for for uh, forgiveness and we repent and we move forward and God can restore not only your life, but the lives of those around you. Because He is a God who restores. He is a God who can fix stuff that we don't even understand. But it takes humbling ourselves and letting Him do it. Start today. I want to show two more places real quick of how parents and even mothers, as it mentions in these areas, mentions Jesus' mother. Turn with me first to Luke. Well, it's just a Luke chapter 2. They're both verses are in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the first place is 2, verse 39 and 40. This is where Jesus was uh, eight days old. He was in the, in the uh, temple being dedicated. And a number of people had come up and said, this is the Messiah. By the Spirit of God, they had been, they had been told by the Spirit that the Messiah was in that baby. That baby was the Messiah of God. The thing they had been praying for and waiting for, it was the, the redemption of Israel was in this baby that would just walk through the door or had just been carried through the door. And as they were leaving, Luke chapter 2, verse 39 and 40 says this, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I don't know our our concepts of what Jesus was like, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure Mary had to change diapers. I'm pretty sure he had to learn. It says there he learned wisdom. He learned. He grew. He was not... I know he was hard theologically. You just kind of stumble. Did Jesus ever run away when his parents said, come here? We don't have any record of it. It's one of those, you know, I joke with some of my friends, I want to see that reel, that that, uh, recording in heaven. I want to see the first three years of Jesus' life. What is, a, what is a child that is not defiant at two years old like? Boring. <laughs> in the moment, that's not the word I'm thinking of. What was Jesus really? It says he learned, and how did he learn it? My point is this: How did he learn it? It's it all. Yeah, Hebrews says that he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Huh? 
Interesting. He was raised by parents. Now, we don't know when his father left the scene, but in his adult life, he doesn't. Joseph's not around. We don't know the story of Joseph. If you find somewhere online that talks about what happened to Joseph, they're lying. Because nobody knows. Nobody knows what happened to Joseph. But at some point in time, Mary was a single mother. And she raised Jesus. But he grew in wisdom and stature. Well, the next story is just a few, few verses down, verse 52. 51 and 52 on Luke 2 is Jesus at the temple. The story behind it, obviously, is they were all at the temple for the Passover. They started for home. He decided he had better plans. Now here's a, here's a 12-year-old right there. There's a picture of a 12-year-old. Do we have any 12-year-olds in here? Uh-huh. Think about this, parents. You're headed home on a three-day journey and you're a third of the way home and all of a sudden you realize that your child did not do what you told them to do. I don't care if they're perfect in the Son of God. I don't care what they are. That's enough to tick you off right there. They have to travel back a whole day. And they find him, what, two days later? Three days later? And they said, what were you doing? Well, he had a great excuse. I had to be about my father's business. I can just see Joseph, I'm your father. <laughs> but then they say this about Jesus. Luke says this in verse, in chapter two of, or verse 51 and 52 of chapter two. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and, and was submissive to them. And was submissive to them. And was submissive to them. All the teenagers in the room, please. Could you say, and was, with me now. Come on, guys. And was, nobody's doing it. And was, this reminds me of a wedding I did one time. <laughs> the bride and groom wrote their vows. And they handed them to me in the beginning and, and they said, just read them line by line and they'll recite them back to me. So they handed me, I did the, the groom's vow is always first and I read his and he recited them back to me. And I turned to the bride and this is in front of a 300 member. This wedding was humongous. 300 people in the crowd. The, the, uh, uh, um, Saint Thomas Boys Choir was singing three songs during, this thing was huge. And so I turned to the bride at the time of the, and I said, I, I promise to love and cherish. She goes, I promise to love and cherish. I promise to, I promise to, you know, this and be there in sickness and health. Oh, I promise to be in sickness. And then on the, it was right there. It says, I promise to be submissive. And I said, I promise to be submissive. And she goes, did I write that? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's right there. I didn't change anything. I wrote that, really? So, try with me again, teenagers. Here we go. It's in the Word of God. And was submissive. I see it now. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I, and he was submissive to them. Yes, amen, amen. You can thank me later, parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Mary treasured these things. Another version says pondered means to deep, to think deeply. What is going on with this kid? 
And from the age of 12, he had to learn more. Okay, you don't not come with the family on a three-day trip across country. There were no cell phones. But here's the Son of God. He knew who he was, but Mary wasn't all that convinced. But he was submissive to them. And he submitted to their parenthood, to her parenthood, to Joseph. And it says because he submitted, he grew in wisdom and stature. I think he became the man he became partly because of Joseph and Mary. God put him with that family, with those parents. And those parents were valuable in raising the Son of God. Mary's going to be an interesting person to talk to in heaven. Were they, was she, were they the perfect parents? You know, probably not. But it's who God put them with. Amen? Let's, one more time, teenagers. And he was submissive to them. Let's all stand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be on CD. It'll be right there. Let's all stand. Father, thank you very much for our parents. Thank you, Lord, you put us with the mothers and fathers that you put us with. Father, I pray a blessing. Everybody here, if you're next to a mother, go ahead and just lay your hands on them. Bless them. Father God, thank you so much for the mothers in this room. Thank you for what they do every single day. Thank you for all the things we don't even see. Thank you, Father, that they love their children more than, they, than anyone could ever imagine. Father, give them the strength and the wisdom on how to raise their children in the way that they should go. Thank you, Father, for giving them wisdom and strength and understanding and knowledge and insight even above and beyond their ability. But Lord, today especially, bless them. I pray that this day will be an absolute joy for each and every one of them in every way. And Father, I pray that through this, through the families that you have given us, that we'll not only understand better of how we can be children of God, but Lord, that we'll also, through these families, show the world around us what being a part of the family of God, being a son and a daughter of God, is all about. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.